like to know the greatest number of kids, if you add them all up together, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. If you add up your whole mess that you started, okay? Okay? Do we have any? If you add up all of those, you have 10 or more. Okay? 10 or more. Okay, anybody have 15 or more? Kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, add them all up together. Got one right here? Okay, how many do you have? 16. Okay, now I've got a question for you guys. I will thank you very much. If you don't mind just opening that, that'd be great. I was over in Russia, and uh, my Building a Successful Family book was translated into Russian, and, uh, and they don't believe in birth control in Russia. And so if you're a Christian, you're just supposed to keep having kids as long as God opens the womb, all right? And so uh, I met a lady who got married at 13, and she and her husband had 13 children. And then those children had lots of children, and so on and so on. And I, this lady is now 71 when I met her, and I saw a picture of all of her kids and their spouses, their kids and their spouses, their kids and their spouses. How many people were in this picture? Somebody take a guess. 83. I've got 83 right here. What would you say? 212. 212. They're not rabbits. These are people. <laughs> okay. All right. We got 83 and 212. It's somewhere in between there. Huh? 145. This is really close. Are you guys ready for this? There were 137 people in that picture. Can you imagine Christmas with all your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and their spouses, and you got 137? Okay, if you brought a Bible, I realize it's not, it's not Baptist to actually start on time, but we are seriously going to be like your basic Egyptian mummies in this hour, which means pressed for time. So we've got to use all of our minutes. Some of you will get that on the way home. That's okay. But open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians 6 and verse 7. And uh, before I jump in today, I, I kind of want to give you a little bit about my frame of reference. My wife and I have been married now for 34 years. We have two children, Paige and Josh. We have a son-in-law and a granddaughter, Ava. Okay, I'm not coming at this from the frame of reference that we did it perfectly and because uh, right now, you know, our kids are doing really, really well, but you know that can change tomorrow. So I'm, I'm not coming at you like we got it all done, we did it successfully, this is how you do it. Nor am I going to come at you from an educational frame of reference. I did do an undergrad, master's, and doctorate, education, psychology, theology, but most of what I have to say tonight has nothing to do with the educational stuff. Most of my frame of reference is what I'd just like to call in the trenches. And uh, I told you this, your, your pastor told you this morning, uh, I spent time working for the president as part of the president's war on drugs, literally been in tens, uh, probably eight to 10,000 schools, millions of kids and parents. And when you're walking up and down the halls of our public schools and you're listening to kids and their parents and they don't know you're listening, you get a completely different frame of reference of where we are. So this is kind of an in the trenches, real life frame of reference, all right? Now, we're gonna talk today about discipline. Galatians 6 and verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Parents, this is huge. Grandparents, I hope you'll look into my eyes. At the bottom line, discipline is this simple. It's teaching your kids about reality, about what happens when you sow and reap. And we challenge them to build internal fences so that they sow good seeds and reap a winning harvest in life. That's what we're trying to teach them to do. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Lord, thanks so much for the opportunity to get into your word. Lord, please keep me out of the way that through the power of your spirit that you can be the one who would speak to us. God, I pray that you would just do something special. Uh, and that's my prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. Now, if you were to read and study about parenting, you would read about three distinct parenting styles. I'm going to give these to you in the order in which they are used by evangelical Christians. Most evangelical Christians are permissive 
parents. They love their kids, it's just they don't know how to love them. They push, they prod, they manipulate. They try to get them to do the right thing. But at the bottom line, they so desperately need their child's love and approval that they're not willing to do what's right for their kids. And in some sense, permissive parents are codependent parents. This is a huge idea. I'm begging you, if you hope you're gonna be taking a few notes today, and I apologize our PowerPoint didn't, my computer didn't work with your projector. But this is huge. Mom and dad, if we need our kids, we can't lead our kids. The family is an interdependent reality. And parents think about it, but psychologically, before we can be interdependent, what do we have to be? We have to be independent. In other words, we have to get our self-worth and self-esteem as parents from our walk with God. We can't be depending upon our husband or our wife or our kids. And so, two interdependent people, and, and let me help you with this, your kids are codependent. You're trying to help them learn how to be healthy. So you take two codependent people, you put them in an interdependent reality, it's kind of like having two ticks and no dog, as they would say in the South, and that just doesn't work, okay? So permissive parents, permissive parents uh, need to develop, if you're here in the room, this is where you are, you need to make your walk with Christ, becoming the winner God made you to be your greatest passion and priority, and stop depending upon your kids to help you feel good about you. Number two, Author, I'm, I'm, we go all the way to the other end, authoritarian. My dad was an authoritarian parent. My dad was a sergeant in the Marines. You never asked him why unless you were willing to pick your face up off the wall on the other side of the room, okay? My dad up, got up every morning at about 5.30 to 5.45, and this is what we heard up and down the hallways in our house. Hup, two, three, four, heard a left. People that are that happy in the morning make me want to throw up, okay? You're not supposed to be that happy in the morning, okay? How many of you are morning people? You like mornings, okay? I'm jealous of you guys. I wish I liked mornings. I don't like mornings. You guys get up and say, good morning, Lord. I get up, crawl to the window, and say, good Lord, it's morning. You know what I'm saying to you? Have you ever noticed that people like mornings like to brag about it? Have you ever noticed that? Man, I was up at 3.30 having my time alone with Jesus. I hadn't even rolled over for the first time at 3.30. But I mean, authoritarian parents, listen, every, every discussion begins and ends. I'm going to start it, you finish it. Bucko, buckwheat, buckso, buck rogers. You're going to do it this way, boy, because I said so. Now, the third parenting style, by the way, here, there's a key phrase here. Authoritarian parents love their kids. This is a huge idea. It's just hard for their kids to see that love. Finally, there's authoritative parenting. Now, when I was in college, this was called democratic parenting. However, there's nothing democratic about this. It's not like everybody has an opinion, tell me what you think, we're gonna take a vote, the majority rules. An authoritative parent is a parent where everything is up for discussion. You don't wanna to go to church, let's talk about that. You don't wanna to go to youth camp, let's talk about that. You wanna date who? Let's talk about that. But at the end of the conversation, authoritative parent always reserves the right to say, this is what we're going to do, and this is why. Now, this is a huge idea for you to write down and remember. An authoritative parent accepts the fact that their child needs to know why. Now, some of you are thinking right now, that's not okay with me. Well, I want to tell you a story. By the way, 91% of the kids who grew up in our churches have checked out on church and faith by age 18. Not at age 18, by age 18. Now, Tommy was in vacation Bible school, and the teacher said, Tommy, I want you to sit down. And Tommy said, no. Tommy, I want you to sit down right now. Tommy said, no. Tommy, I want you to sit down right now. I'm going to rip your ears off. Tommy sat down, but he turned to the friend on the right and said, on the inside, I'm standing up. Now, what did he do when he got his first opportunity? Now, parents, this is, huge, this is a huge idea. Parents, for the most part, you can make your kids do what you want them to do while they live in your house. But the measuring stick on how you're doing as a parent 
It's not how they're doing when they live in your house. It's how are they doing when you're not there and they're a junior and they're in a dorm or they've got a job and they're out making their own choices. Have they chosen internally to be the winners that God has created them to be because that's what they want to do? You see, you can make them do what you want them to do while they live in your house. But for them to win, they have to decide, I want Christ to be the greatest priority in my life. I want to become the winner that he created me to be because that's what I want to do. That's the only thing that works when they leave. Now, we're going to talk about six principles. By the way, what is the best kind of a parent? Let me give you kind of a timeline. This is my opinion. And, uh, and so you guys do need to remember throughout this event that I am a Texas A&M graduate, okay? Uh, at A&M, we have a hard time with very simple questions. I shared this with the students this morning. Questions like, why is it that historically pilgrims had such a hard time, and they did, keeping their pants up? Have you ever thought about that? The answer is in the pictures, okay? Their belt buckles are on their hats. I mean, so simple things like that, you know, we, we really have a hard time with, all right? So now, so let, let, me give you this, let me give you this timeline, all right? I believe the best kind of a parent, birth through kindergarten, early first grade, is a loving, caring, nurturing, unconditionally accepting, listen to this, authoritarian parent. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're allowing a three-year-old to demand a why out of you, I love you a lot, but you're messing up. Young children have two great needs. They need to be showered by unconditional love and acceptance. Their self-worth and self-esteem is formed on that. Number two, they need to learn to respond to authority. If they don't learn to respond to authority early on, then they will have to be broken by God in adolescence. Then, beginning in the first grade through about probably fourth or fifth grade, the line of authority needs to go up ever so slowly. They need to start making some decisions. For example, you walk in with three outfits, and you say, uh, Becky, which one of these do you want to wear to school today? Well, Becky's making a choice, but you've decided the parameters of that choice. By the time, and I'm sorry not to give more time to this, there's more information in the books than that, but we are kind of like your basic Egyptian mummies here. Uh, by middle school, at the latest, you need to be full-blown, authoritative parents. Everything is up for discussion. You don't want to go to Sunday school, why? You, uh, you think you should be able to stay out until when? Why? We talk about it. But then at the end of the conversation, mom and dad always reserve the right to draw the lines and say, this is the way it's going to be, and listen to this, this is why. Now, let me give you six principles on internal fence building. Number one, establish a goal for your discipline. I love Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He has a chapter on begin with the end in mind. Now, if you were to sit down and look in my journal, my goal for my children was simply this sentence, self-discipline under the lordship of Christ. I never tried to push my kids to be a lawyer or an attorney or to accomplish this or that. What God created them to do is what I want them to do, and I don't know what that is. That's something they have to figure out between them and God. But self-discipline under the lordship of Christ. I wanted to help Paige and Josh uh, have a relationship with Christ that is the most important thing in their lives that guides everything they do and teach them how to walk with God and listen to his voice. All right? So what is the goal of your discipline? You have to decide that. Number two, you need to embrace their drive for independence. Now, I'm just curious. i got to ask this question. How many of you would like for your kids to be living in your house full-time at age 31, 32, with their kids and your grandkids, and you want them all living in your house. Can I see your hands? Pastor, normally we have one idiot in the group. You, you're, you're not, we have no idiots here. Now, I, I, I'm just curious, how many of you would like for your kids to grow up, listen to this, and get healthy, okay? Meet a healthy mate, produce healthy grandchildren, and bring them back to your house to visit on holidays, can I, do I see your hands? You know, I see grandparents all the time. It's like those little angels didn't arrive till Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, and those little demons didn't leave until Sunday afternoon. 
Now, listen, parents, listen to this. If you want them to, everybody, nobody raise their hand that they want your kids home at 32. Nobody. If you want your kids to grow up and get healthy, you have to embrace their drive for independence. It's going to be painful. How many of you are full-time stay-at-home moms? If you're a full-time stay-at-home mom, I'll tell you right now, the empty nest is tough. And so you just try to hang on. But you have to embrace their drive for independence, do the things we're talking about today, or listen, they're not leaving. And for some of you, if you don't embrace this stuff, when they do leave, they're coming back. Embrace their drive for independence. Number three, realize that deep, deep, deep down in their heart of hearts, listen to this, they want you to be tough. I wish you could see some of your faces right now. This guy is, is a total idiot. I mean, my kids want me to be tough. I mean, this is like, are you doing the Aggie thing again? Where do you find a dog with no legs? Hello, right where you left him. I'm just telling you, they really do want you to be tough. Uh, let me tell you a story. There was a young guy that I used to love to go stay at his house. You know why? His parents were alcoholics, and uh, they always had a lot of uh, beer and liquor, and we would go to spend the night at his house, and his parents, listen to this, they would always be passed out by 10.30 or 11, and whatever was left was there for us, and they had no memory of what they drank or didn't drink, and you know what? Literally, as sixth graders and seventh graders, we were literally out on the streets of Bryan, Texas, where I lived, sometimes at two or three in the morning. I loved it. My dad, though, being a sergeant in the Marines, figured out what was going on. So we never got to go to my friend's house anymore. But if you go back, I'm going to date myself now, Pastor David. If you go back and look at the Pipes 8mm silent movies, you will discover that my friend was at every birthday, he went on every vacation, he lived at our house five, six nights a week. Why would somebody who had a parent, who had parents who were checked out and he had no rules, why would he come and stay with a drill sergeant and get the same punishment we got? For the exact same reason that when he was 17, he took a 410 shotgun, put it in his chest, and pulled the trigger. He did not kill himself. He came close. But he came to my dad's funeral, Pastor, and he stood by my dad's casket, tears coming down his cheeks. And he said, you know, Jerry, your dad was tough as a boot, but we hung out around your dad because we knew he loved us and wanted the best for us. When your kids see no rules, all they know for sure is that you don't care. And the heart of hearts, they want you to be tough. Number next, whatever number that is, four. This is huge. Create in your home, create a culture of encouragement. Create a culture of encouragement. I want to give you a metaphor. Every student, every child, every husband, every wife. And by the way, those of you that are in the business world, what I'm about to share with you works just as well in the business world as it does in your house. Every human being has an emotional gas tank that's got to be full to overflowing, listen to this, with unconditional love and acceptance. I mean, this is huge. Dads, those of you that are dads in this room, this is more important for you and your daughters than it is for your wife and your daughters. I mean, shower them with unconditional love and acceptance. Now, why is this such a tough idea? Number one, I'm going to give you three Ps. Number one, performance. Tommy, you made straight A's. I'm so proud of you. Hello, ding, 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 ding. What did I just say? If you hadn't made straight A's, I wouldn't be proud. Mom and dad, number one cardinal sin 
You absolutely cannot look at your kids and say, you did this or you did that. I am so proud of you. How do you reward that report card? Tommy, you made straight A's. Listen to this. That hard work really paid off. Wow. Give me a high five. Why is this so dangerous? If you say Tommy or Michelle or whatever, you did this or that, I'm so proud of you, what are you teaching them? You're teaching them to perform for you. And if you teach them to perform for you, they're going to perform for their friends. Do I need to tell you how dangerous that is? Chicken, everybody else going to the party? Come on. If you love me, you'll let me. Everybody else is doing it. We don't want to teach them to perform. Now, those of you, how many of you have preschoolers? Can I see your hands? If you got preschoolers, I'm going to give you something. You're so way ahead of this game. Listen to this. But by the way, for those of you who have high schoolers, middle schoolers, it's never too late. I literally would go to my kids, if you're into this performance thing, I would apologize, and I would literally just start today with what we're going to discuss here in just a minute. But if you got preschoolers, I literally, my daughter was literally 30 minutes old. The first time I pulled her up to my face and I said, Paige Pipes, you're so awesome. You're gorgeous. And at that time, I thought she was. I didn't realize that she was like the ugliest conehead ever to be born on the face of the earth. You know, we just don't think our kids are coneheads, but they are. You're so awesome. I love you. I've, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're at least a 40. But I can tell you right now, and, and, and I'm not perfect, but my daughter does not remember a day when I was at home and not traveling when I did not pull her up to my face and have some kind of a conversation like that, we shower them with unconditional love and acceptance. I was over in Scotland on a train trying to share Christ with a girl. Found out as I was sharing with her that she was a prostitute. I began to talk to her about the love of God and what I do with my daughter. And do you know what happened? This crusty prostitute melted and started weeping big crocodile tears. And she said, Mr., I'd give anything to hear my daddy say something like that just one time. So, we don't do it because of performance. Number two, preference. You know what? Listen to this. This is going to sound terrible. But if you have more than one child, it's easy to have a favorite, isn't it? Don't give me that. Some of you are looking at me. I'm not so unspiritual that I would favor one of my children or grandchildren over the other. I would never do that. I'm so spiritual. You liars. Some of you in this room have a kid or a grandkid you don't even like. And do you know why you don't like them? Because they're just like you. Everything you don't like about you, you see in them. And uh, <laughs> Listen, some of you are feeling really guilty about this. I want to encourage you. Okay, this will make you feel better. They don't like you either. Now, I'm just having a little bit of fun with you, but is it, is it not true, is it not true that some of us are just oil and water with one of our kids? My wife and my daughter are literally, they, they're just alike. My wife had infinite patience with Josh, but she, her fuse was like a half an inch with Paige. But they're just alike. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, this is fun. I, I wanted to have some comic relief, but it's serious. Our kids pick up on that. So preference. Finally, perfectionism. How many of you would admit with me, go ahead, admit it, that you are a perfectionist? Anybody besides me have the courage to admit it? Okay, we got a bunch of liars in this room, Pastor, so you just absolutely, we, we need to preach on lying here. That's okay. Even if you didn't raise your hand, I want to challenge you guys to do this. Go home, I, dare, I double dog dare you to do this. Go home and do an accounting ledger for every relationship in your house. If you're a boss and you have people who report to you, I'd make an accounting ledger for every relationship for one of your reports. And on one side of the page, write your positive comments to that person. And on the negative side of the page, write your negative comments. Now listen very carefully. There is no such thing as constructive criticism, okay? Criticism is criticism. It doesn't matter how positive you are about it. Goes in the negative column. Are you guys ready? Here is the hard research. For everything you say... To an elementary ager, middle schooler, high schooler, for everything that you say that goes in the negative column, research shows that you need to have seven things in the positive column to make up for one negative comment. we got to be seven to one in the positive. Some of you are thinking right now, that is absolutely impossible. It's impossible 
only if you don't do these three things. Number one, stop nitpicking with your kids. Try to catch them doing something right and make a big deal out of it. Stop nitpicking with them. Number two, learn the principle of ducking. Learn to duck. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes a man slow to anger. Listen to this. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Learn to duck. I want to give you two examples. My wife and I tried to teach our two children, Paige and Josh, how to sit down at a table and eat like a people. Okay, we weren't looking for perfection. We just wanted them to be able to sit down at a table in the future at an interview and eat like a people. But listen to this. My wife and I made a vow to God. Our kids will never, ever hear one negative comment about how they're eating. We're going to totally do this in the positive. Paige never heard. Paige Pipes, would you please get your elbows off the table? Josh, chew with your mouth closed. Never one time. Just try to catch them doing it right. I would say, Josh, Josh, you're chewing with your mouth closed. Men, I had to be lightning quick to catch him, okay? Lightning. <laughs> lightning. You're chewing with your mouth closed. Wow. I am stoked these good manners are becoming important to you. Business leaders, those of you that manage people, we don't manage people by browbeating them. That's not how we have a high-performance team. What do we do? What gets rewarded gets done. That's what we do, isn't it? It works at home, too. And then my daughter, <laughs> you know, she's 15 going on 25. And uh, she's getting ready to go to school. And I go upstairs. She's downstairs. And she's left two personal female items on the floor, public hallway, in front of God and everybody, but especially in front of my 12-year-old son who's quickly becoming a walking, breathing hormone. I'm not happy, okay? But I ducked. I went, I checked out her room. There were several really good things. I, w I found Paige. I said, Paige, your room is awesome. Your bed's perfect. The floor's clean, which was a miracle. Uh, the closet's good. Wow, you're learning to take care of your stuff. I went upstairs, ladies. Not only had my daughter picked up those two things I said nothing about, my daughter had gone in without being asked and done one of Josh's chores and picked up the bathroom. Is it not true if we worked at it, we could be on our kids 24-7 about something that could be better? Is that not true? Or we can try to catch them doing something right and make a big deal out of it and create a culture of encouragement in our house. Now, what I'm about to share with you only works on the backdrop of these four things. Number five, mentor your children. Teach them through reality discipline. Teach them through reality discipline. I want to give you, because we have kids of all ages here, I want to give you some examples all the way up. Anybody in this room ever had a, an issue with getting your kids to sleep all night? That ever been a problem? Well, uh, our daughter had tubes in her ears, and um, and we, we, that happened at seven months. Up until then, she was sick the whole time. But the doctor said at about seven and a half, eight months, stop feeding her in the middle of the night. It's not good for you. It's not good for her. She needs to be sleeping all night. You need to be sleeping all night. Quit doing that. And so uh, we, Paige was dry. She was fed. She was well. And so we kissed her goodnight, and we put her in bed, and she cried for 18 minutes and 37 seconds. Guys, what I had to do was take belts and ropes and tie my wife in the bed so there would be no rescue. Now, let me tell you what about my daughter. My daughter is so smart that at 18 minutes and 37 seconds, this is what she figured out. Nobody is coming. And she went to sleep. She got up at 2 because she had been getting up at 2 her entire life for formula. And so Deborah walked in and made sure that she was dry and still healthy and, uh, and then she gave her a bottle of water, and that really made Paige mad. Because she didn't get up for water, she got up for formula. But the doctor said she needs to stop doing that. And this was what's best for her. 
And so this time, my, my daughter is so smart. She cried for 11 minutes that time. Get this, she figured out in 1837 nobody was coming. At 11 this time, she's getting smarter, she gave it up. The next night, it took about 11 minutes the first time, she didn't even get up at two. Why get up for water? You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, kids <laughs> learn through reality. And then the next night it was a little better, and the next a little better. We did this. It took about a week. It wasn't fun because Deborah had to deal with it during the day. I was speaking in Australia. A guy walks up to me after, and he said, Dr. Jerry, I wish I'd heard you a long time ago. Listen to this. My son is eight years old, and he is still sleeping with us. Kids learn, or they don't, through reality. Anybody in this room ever had a battle with the car seat? Huh? You ever had a battle with the car seat? Um, I uh, flew into Arkansas, and uh, the pastor was going to pick me up. My daughter was about, uh, I don't know, two years old maybe. We'd never had a battle with the car seat. Now, how, how many people in this room have a strong-willed child, a very strong-willed child? If you have a strong-willed child, I want to tell you right now that you will have some battles. I'm going to describe a strong-willed child battle right now. And parents look into my eyes, if you lose these huge battles, these cornerstone moments, you will pay for a long time. You cannot give in. Now, the pastor's picking me up. We're in Arkansas. You do know how many Arkansas cheerleaders, you know, you do know what you get when you get 32 Arkansas cheerleaders in one room. Full set of teeth. Just thought I'd help you out with that, okay? And... Um, I've been, listen, I've been making fun of my Aggies all day. You guys beat up on the Hogs yesterday. You know, if you're a Hog fan, get over it, okay? I'm, we're, we're, this, this is equal opportunity offending here. Now, but the, the, pastor, the pastor picks me up. Now, think about this. The pastor's picking me up. This is Dr. Pipes, and we are going to teach his church about parenting. Okay, we get in the van and this is when my strong-willed daughter decides she's going to test the fences on the car seat. And she starts crying. And I get right in her face. And I say, Paige, you can cry all you want. You can turn red and blue and purple, but you're not getting out of the car seat. We drive an hour and a half. An hour and 25 minutes later, she's turning red and blue and purple. And I feel sorry for this pastor. He is thinking to himself, I have invited an idiot to come and teach my parents about parenting, you can't even control this little two-year-old. Well, he heard me teach what I'm teaching you right now. And uh, we got in the car to go home on Sunday, on Sunday night. Paige started in again. I had the same speech. It lasted about five minutes. I'm telling you, kids are smart. Didn't work on the way up. Fast forward two years. My son decides he wants to test the boundaries in the car seat. I started to give Josh the speech. <laughs> Paige looked over at Josh and said, you might as well not try this. It's not going to work. <laughs> Kids learn through reality. And then, now, I, let, me, let me stop right here for just a minute. I mean, you know, all of this sounds really easy and really good. Let me, there are a couple of key, key things here. The key to this is Consistency. Reality discipline means establishing the boundaries, communicating the consequences, and then being consistent, doing it every time. Now, those of you in this room that are married, listen very carefully. You guys have got to get in the bedroom, decide what the boundaries are going to be, the consequences are going to be, and you have to get together. Get it, dealing with mom, it's got to be like dealing with dad. Dealing with dad, it's got to be like dealing with mom. It can't be any of this. Just wait till your daddy comes home. I mean, literally, you both have to be consistent. Now, if you're a single parent, this is the one place where you have a real advantage, okay? Unless you have multiple personalities, you're together, okay? <laughs> now, anybody, anybody in this uh, place ever had a problem with getting your kids to eat have you got company over? Don't our kids always use those opportunities to embarrass us? There's a family I used to love and go to eat with. I love to eat with them. They would do fried catfish. I'm going to make everybody hungry here. They would do fried catfish, pond-fed Mississippi catfish, Gulf fried shrimp, and banana pudding. I'm just telling you, your taste buds are doing the hallelujah chorus. 
The problem with going to eat there was they had a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and it was like sitting down at the table with Comanche Indians on the warpath. They were throwing food. He was threatening them. You do that again, I'm going to give you a spanking or whatever his, his rules were. And he never did it. You do that again, never happened. Why would they stop? Parents, I'm going to get this. This is so huge. It is better that you have no boundaries and no rules than to set boundaries and expectations and consequences and not follow through. You're teaching your kids there are no consequences when you disobey. And I'm telling you, it is way better that they get the truth from you because the next level is they're getting in trouble at school and the next trouble is they're getting arrested. They need to learn about sowing and reaping from us. We're the first level here. Now, the dad asked me to come over and eat one day and I said to him, uh, no thank you. He asked me again a couple of weeks later, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. He said, why won't you come? I said, I want to be honest with you. I cannot watch you and your boys. They don't respect you. You threaten them. You never do anything. I just can't do it. And he said, well, what should I do? I said, I'll, I'll tell you if you honestly want to know and you're going to do something. He said, what do I do? Use reality. I guarantee you, your boys are not going to go hungry. They will not go hungry. You just need to say to your guys when they start th playing at the table, this is your opportunity to eat tonight. And if you don't want to eat tonight, you want to go out and play, that's fine. But you need to understand this. Your next opportunity to eat will be at breakfast in the morning. That means there'll be no cookies, no ice cream, no Coke, no milk. When you brush your teeth, you're spitting out that water. Your stomach's going to feel like your throat's been cut. <laughs> and I want you to know that his boys are going to, in the future, go to Texas A&M. Because read my lips, his boys went to bed hungry three times before they, before they figured out dad meant business. I went over to eat with them a couple of weeks later, and it was fun. They started to do their deal, and he said, boys, this is your opportunity to eat tonight. And they stopped. They didn't want to go to bed hungry. Kids learn through reality. I had a friend, I was in Dallas, we were playing golf together, and uh, Sam had bought his son a brand new $40,000 Z car when he turned 16. Now parents, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm not financially able to do that, I wasn't when my kids were growing up, but I never ever gave my kids a car. I helped them work to get one. And now if you have the money, you want to do that, that's fine. At least Sam, when he gave him the car, drew some boundaries. He said, if you get in trouble with the law, you get a ticket, then you are grounded totally for one month. You'll not go anywhere on the weekends for one month. And then you're grounded from this car for two. Well, he's on his way home. He's going 80 and a 55, and he gets a ticket. The next week is homecoming. Now this girl's mom is calling him up. My daughter, we bought a $200 dress. Why should she have to pay for your son's mistake? Defer punishment one week. He said, Jerry, I'm the most unpopular guy in the church. What do I do? I said, Sam, did you or did you not tell him if he got a ticket he was granted for one month? That's what I told him. I think you got to pull the rug and let the little buzzer tumble. He said, what about the mom? I mean, isn't it a little unfair for the girl? Ladies and gentlemen, look into my eyes. Is it not true that other people always pay when we mess up? When he says, if you love me, you'll let me, who pays for that one really when she gets pregnant? You know what the, guy, you know what the dad did? You're going to be impressed. Here's what he did. Not only did little Sam Jr. not go to the, to the prom or homecoming, Sam Jr., for the first time in his poor little old life, had to go out and get a job to pay for the dress that that girl didn't get to wear. Kids learn through reality. Now, if you're here and you're a single mom, this is going to be a little bit tougher because you're on your own. 
But the more you do these principles, it's harder up front, but the better off that you'll be. There's one final thing, and we've got to hurry. You've got to get involved in your kid's social life. They should never attend a party that you haven't checked out. They should never spend the night in a home with the person that you don't know their parents. I don't mean casually know their parents. I mean know their parents. I was uh, in Oklahoma doing the presence war on drugs. This girl walked up to me and said, my boyfriend raped me. Was it my fault? I said, your boyfriend raped you. Was it your fault? What are you talking about? We went camping. I said, who went camping? My boyfriend and I and my best girlfriend and her boyfriend, the four of us, we went camping. I said, how old are you? I'm 14. I said, where were your parents? Well, I told my parents I was spending the night with Christy. She told her parents that she was spending the night with me. The parents never talked. They started drinking. He got on top of her. He said yes. She said no. He was stronger. My boyfriend raped me. Was it my fault? I said, well, it was your fault in that you lied to your parents. You should have never been there. But it was also your parents' fault because they didn't care enough to get involved in your social life. You need to get involved in their social life. I was in California several years ago. My wife and I come downstairs, and we see this little girl. Her name is Kim. Mom, I'm uh, leaving Michelle's house in 10 minutes. I'll be home in 20. She wasn't leaving Michelle's house. She spent the night in the same hotel we stayed in with her boyfriend. You've got to get involved in their social life. Now, this is what I'm about to say is pretty controversial, and it's in this room. I really want you to hear this. In my opinion, your kids' email, their text, their Facebook, none of that can be totally private. Now, don't suggest that you consistently get involved and invade their privacy. But I'm saying this. When you see a change in your child's life, they love Jesus, but now they don't want to go to camp. They have no interest in being with the church or being a part of what God's doing in their lives. You see a change in their lives, you need to find out why. I want to take you back to Columbine. You guys remember Cassie Bernal? God used her to change the world as she died in Columbine. But I want you to know that several years earlier, she was making A's and then she was making F's. Her parents got in her room. They found her diary. They found out that she was literally days away from joining four or five other kids who would murder their parents on the same night. They were about to be murdered by their daughter in just days. But they cared enough to read a diary, find out what was going on. They got her out of that school into a, another school, and her, her life totally was changed and transformed. Now, you guys can take that, process it, and do with it what you will, but I'm giving you what my conviction is, all right? Now, that's all the time we have. Let me mention to you that in the back there are a couple of books. Now, please hear me. I am not here to sell you books. Your church is paying me a very, very gracious honorarium to be here. That's 99% of how I make a living. I don't make a living through selling these books, okay? And uh, that is how I give my kids food. No, I'm just kidding. This is a joke. <laughs> Okay, if you're going to buy if you're going to buy one book, I'm encouraging you to buy this one. This is called Building a Successful Family. This is how do you get healthy as a family? Uh, the blueprint of a successful family, a life plan. Tonight on the message, I'm going to talk about developing a life plan. Most people have no plan for the rest of their life, and so how to develop a life plan? Keys to intimacy, communication, self-esteem. All, a whole lot more than what we talked about today. Uh, discipline, how do you mentor your kids? How do you deal with the tough times? And this morning, I gave you a preview of what the last chapter is. The last chapter uses science and history to prove that Jesus is who he claims to be. And then, the second book is called Family to Family. That one's book one, this is book two. Once you get healthy, how do you lead your kids to Christ and mentor them spiritually. Moms and dads, I, I'm going to say something not to make you feel guilty, but youth pastors are fired every week because certain kids aren't responding to the gospel, and we're firing the wrong people. It is not your youth pastor's job, your children's pastor's job, 
to lead your kids to Christ. As parents, it's our job on leading our kids to Christ. When mom and dad model their faith, get engaged in the harvest, we're keeping almost 96% of our kids. This book will show you how that 96% of the time you can win in keeping your kids and them winning in life. And then finally, this book is the most recent book that I've just done with Thomas Nelson. Myself and Jay Strack and three of our seminary presidents got together and we researched what are the top 70 questions for high school kids and college kids across America. And uh, we invited 30 of the top youth pastors in the country to join us five. And this book is, uh, each one of us took two chapters. So this is literally critical issues, absolute answers from God's word for teenagers and college kids. All right? Let me just say something that uh, most people really don't like to read. When I did this book, I did this for parents who don't like to read. And you'll see that in this book, you've got a bunch of boxes. These boxes are just there for pure entertainment, okay? Just, just for fun. And um, anyway, this little girl, let's see. Ricky said, um, tell your wife she looks pretty even if she, look, she looks like a truck. Isn't that good? I mean, that's basic communication, okay, right there. And um, there is Nan. There's this my. There's one box from Nan that's really good. Oh yeah, Nan, age four. Dear God, thank you for the little brother. But what I really wanted was a puppy. <laughs> Let me give you my favorite box in here. It's actually in the discipline chapter. Here is my favorite box. Kids learn through reality. Get this. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? This is from all our little brothers. If, you're, if your sister hits you, don't hit her back. They always catch the second person. Isn't that true? This one's from my daughter. Never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. That, that, that's kind of a dangerous deal. Okay, the books are... They're $15 a book. If you buy two books, it's $25. You get all three of these for $35. So $15 each, two for $25, you get all three. We have 38 sets back there. So I just brought 38 sets. All right? So we are going to take, uh, take a break. Now, I, I, I tell you what, we have just a, uh, a few minutes. to. Uh, we could entertain a question or two. Anybody have a question or a comment? Yes, yes, sir, right here. Can you, do you mind standing up? Because I can't hear you. You're always a parent, but the role has to change. The Bible teaches to leave and cleave. So there's a point at which they're not accountable to you. They're accountable directly to God. Mm hmm hmm Well, I'm sorry you had that experience, sir. Yeah, sorry you had that experience. Yes, ma'am. Okay.
in this book, um, in this book there is a section on that, and uh, and so I teach what I gave you today. Um, you know, the the corporal punishment, the spanking thing, is something that should be reserved for uh, blatant, blatant uh, disobedience and something early. You know, once your kids get older, I certainly am not a fan. Okay, so as your kids get older into uh, elementary school and up, I really am a, a, a fan of reality discipline. What we've talked about today, but there are there are there's, there's a box in here with three principles on how and when that I believe that this is appropriate. All right, but I, I honestly, I believe that if you're going to spank your child, it needs to be in, in a private setting. It needs to be where you can sit down with them and explain why this is happening, and and then you. There's unconditional love and acceptance. This is why we're doing it. Then you do the spanking, and then you, there's more affirmation. But you, um, so that, 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 those are my convictions about it. So I'm not, I'm not saying it should never happen, but it should be, they've got to be younger. It's got to be reserved for defiant behavior, and it's got to be done well. And it really takes time if you're going to do it well. All right? All right, we are, uh, I'm sorry, I'd be happy to talk to you after. Um, we're going to take about a 12-minute break. Uh, if you're going to get the books, the best time to get them would be between these two services. Uh, my wife, and there, there are, I think, three folks back there that can help you. And, um, and, and again, please don't leave. Our most important hour we have together is in the next hour. Why is it that we understand the best and settle for so much less? Thank you so much for coming. God bless you.